Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. A very important approach of why our model is working versus other competitors is that the service approach allows us to constantly bring more value to the customer. This is Suncast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and action shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle, a battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. We learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson. All right. Welcome back, Solar Warriors. This is episode 31 of Suncast, and I'm your host, Nico Johnson. Today, we will be spending time with Juan Fermín Rodríguez of Kingo Energy. Stick around if you're interested in hearing the strategy behind starting an off-grid solar company focused on Latin America instead of Africa and Asia. The size of the LATAM off-grid market. The difference in technology's role in Latin America versus other markets. How Kingo has become one of the best capitalized solar startups in Latin America. And a detailed discussion of both their fundraising and their go-to-market strategy. Today's episode is a doozy. I will be honest with you, it was not what I expected. I would say that I enjoyed this conversation as much as just about any I've done, and I believe it's one of the most valuable that we've brought to you yet. If you've known me a while, you know that off-grid and remote communities is one of the areas of solar that I'm most excited about, yet this is the first guest for an off-grid company or a microgrid company that I've had on the show. Needless to say, I'm excited, and I hope that you get as much out of this as I have. As always... I am grateful for you, Solar Warriors. Thank you for showing up again and again and encouraging me to continue with Suncast. This show depends on your feedback and input. If you have an idea for a guest suggestion or a show topic, please reach out. You can go to mysuncast.com and you'll find various options to reach me. And of course, you can always find me on LinkedIn. I am thankful for the introduction to Juan by the Solar Plaza team as they continue to collaborate in bringing this series focused on distributed generation and off-grid solar in Latin America. Hey, June 15th and 16th, I'll be joining them along with today's guest and other key leaders in the LATAM market at the Unlocking Solar Capital LATAM event in Miami. This conference will focus on addressing the key issues in financing solar energy in Latin America. And hey, who doesn't want to know what's going on there and how to find uh, better capital, right? It's bringing together financiers, project developers, EPCs, leaders from the region. Head over to mysuncast.com forward slash plaza, P-L-A-Z-A for more details on registration. Hey, and Suncast listeners will get a 10% discount by just using the code SUNCAST on the registration page. Look, this event costs about $1,000, so just by listening to Suncast, you just put $100 in your pocket. You buy me a drink as a thank you in Miami. Hope to see you there. Hey, thanks again for taking the time to be here. Enjoy this week's episode of Suncast with Kingo Energy's Juan Fermin Rodriguez. Today's guest is truly an innovator and risk taker, exactly the kind of person you show up to meet every week here on Suncast. Juan Fermin 
is CEO and co-founder of Kingo Energy, a Guatemala-based startup he started back in 2010 to provide prepay solar energy services to remote communities. They've grown a whopping 1,000% from 450 to over 40,000 customers in the last two years alone. And they promise to turn the lights on for over a million clients by 2020. Juan, welcome to Suncast, brother. Hi, Nico. Thanks for having me, man. A pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Looking forward to seeing you as well in person in Miami. As I mentioned in the preamble, we'll be in the at the Unlocking Solar Capital Conference in Miami. That'll be a great opportunity to get to meet you in person. And, you know, I'm going to be also pretty thrilled to participate uh, as a speaker in one of the panels. Definitely uh, the event looks like a great opportunity to you know, shed some light on what Kingo has accomplished over the last couple of years. And, you know, now that we're trying to get uh, a little bit on the global uh, radar of what's going on in the off-grid sector, um, it'll be a great event to participate in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Juan, look, you're a business and marketing guy with experience at companies like, you know, Procter & Gamble, retail giants. Can you help me understand the pull to leave the corporate world and pursue off-grid solar of all things. What's the genesis of this idea for you? Um, um, this is a good question. Um, I guess, you know, um, a philosophy of, of mine uh, over the last several years has been, you know, that, that work is really not uh, in any way separate to yourself, right? So, um, you know, I was going through a personal and deep transformation, you know, throughout my last years at PNG, um, in which I felt that I was not dedicating, uh, you know, my my daily activities to what I valued, right? So um, I was trying to, you know, align uh, more objectively what I was doing each day with with um, with something that I that I felt strong about, right? Um, you know, I've always been a person involved in in business. I started working very very um, early in my life, um, and you know, I, I've always had uh, a good uh, sense of people and just, uh, you know, generating consensus. Um, and, you know, P&G appealed to me uh, because of, of its massive scale, right? Its massive reach, its ability to create consensus on what a brand means and, and what it represents, right? Um, so, you know, while I was undergoing that personal transformation, uh, if I wanted to have, you know, uh, an impact in the world that had scale, um, I would need to still work through the system to, to change it, to make it evolve. Uh, and that was my uh, intention when I left P&G, to get uh, involved in something that had that level uh, of impact uh, at a global scale, right? And, and where I could put my, my you know, my abilities at, at play, right? Um, and that's when I, you know, saw that renewable energy was something that, uh, had a tremendous potential that it was just a matter of time before uh, the traditional, uh, you know, economy uh, would, you know, shift towards a green economy, right? And, and getting on top of that uh, wave early on, let's say back in 2009, 2010, I guess was a, a good point for me to get involved. And, you know, it's been the best decision I've made in my life in, in terms of my uh, professional and personal career. It's very interesting. I get it. Renewable energy, uh, I'm right there with you. I jumped in uh, from a corporate career. Uh, been in solar a long time, but uh, you know, not many people are focused in off-grid. So 
if I could uh, drill down a bit, like how did you decide that off-grid versus you know the, the myriad of solar installers that exist in Guatemala since you know the mid two uh, thousands? For, for CNI and residential? Like why off-grid versus uh, the more stable market? Um, well, you know, through my upbringing um, as a Guatemalan um, coming from a you know, large family uh, with uh, amazing uh, parents who, you know, always, uh, you know, gave us a, a consistent message of, of, you know, trying to do what's right um, and, and they, they not only preached the word, but I guess they, they lived it on their every day. And, and since I was young, you know, I had a lot of contact with rural Guatemala. I had a lot of contact with, you know, different uh, social activities um, that, you know, my parents exposed me to. Right. So, you know, off-grid solar was a perfect combination in terms of uh, not only having the ability to reach um, you know, uh, an untapped market, um, you know, with, let's say, a blue ocean um, um, scope, you know, to, to the opportunity where, you know, we were able to address something that was also massive, you know, uh, of course, the, the traditional grid and trying to compete there, you may access much bigger markets, but definitely much more competitive. Um, so first, it allowed me to enter into, you know, a mass market that had a, a global opportunity, but most importantly, you know, it, it had the ability to generate, you know, a double impact in terms of, of the social and environmental aspects of the business, right? So, you know, it's, it's been uh, a tremendous personal uh, opportunity to be able to be exposed to this type of work, uh, this type of, of, you know, new wave of, of conscience corporations that I think will, will uh, drive the economy in the future and will be set as the status quo in the future, right? So, you know, it, I would say that a lot of it was luck just being at the correct moment at the correct time, you know, and having the, the, the past experiences to kind of uh, allow me to, to ground my thoughts and try and, and, and make decisions aligned to, to my values. One I am fascinated by this notion of a mass market for off-grid. Help me understand the size. Uh, what's the scope and scale of off-grid? First, of course, with Latin America, because that's where you are. My understanding is it pales in comparison to India and Africa. And, mm -hmm. and you know, maybe couch that as well with how interested are investors in this segment, given the relative attention to the other markets I mentioned for off-grid. So help me understand the scale and the scope and the investment appetite. Perfect. Um, the Guatemalan market specifically, where we started competing several years ago, is um, about you know 2.5 to 3 million people without power. It's around 15% of uh, the country's population. If you sum it up into homes, it's only around 400,000 homes without power. Um, basically, in Latin America, a similar proportion is um, is without power. Um, it's around only 35 million people which if you divide it by five people per, phone, per home, then you get, you know, around, you know, seven million homes, right? So I think there's like uh, 30 countries in Africa that have more than seven million homes without power. So, of course, the biggest portion of the market has always been in Africa and uh, in Asia. Um, 
that is why most of the capital um, has been directed towards these continents. Um, you know, there's 600 million people without power in, in Africa, 700 million in, in Asia. So in total, you know, globally, uh, around 1.3 billion people without power. That's around almost close to 20% of the global population. So uh, these are communities that are, um, you know, buying very expensive and inefficient substitutes, right? So uh, a business model like Kingo or others alike uh, come and tackle uh, this or attend this market by generating much more efficient solutions than the current substitute, right? So, right. so in general terms, um, say economically, um, the current solution or the substitute which we are competing against um, is as inefficient um, in Guatemala as it is in uh, Africa or Asia, right? So the economics, let's say, work globally, of course, um, many of the companies that we compete against are uh, in Africa and in Asia because the biggest uh, uh, markets um, are there, right? Um, so to take a step back and you know try and uh, explain why we focused in Latin America first being a small market uh, is because first and foremost, uh, I'm Guatemalan, born and raised. Uh, I've never lived outside of Guatemala in my life. Uh, nor has any uh, of my team members. Uh, we all have, you know, vast experience in mass consumer markets, in telcos, um, and in energy. And I think at this point, even though most of the capital is flowing to Africa and Asia, um, it, it hasn't created an issue for us because at this stage that we are, or any of our competitors, it's more about validating the model than actually taking ownership of any market, right? Mm -hmm. Between all of us, we haven't tapped into, you know, more than 1% of the market, right? So um, we've, we've been able to attract capital because of the performance that Kingo has delivered, right? In terms of, of revenue, in terms of uh, exponential growth, in terms of, of managing our unit economics and our financials properly so that we can grow in a healthy manner, right? So, you know, at this point, we're focused in Latin America more because if it's, it, it's a competitive advantage in terms of, of validating and scaling the model, our vision in the future is completely uh, global. Um, we already have, you know, uh, uh, an operation that started this year in Colombia. We have another small operation that started last year in, in, in South Africa. Um, and, you know, we're trying to create a, a business model that not only works in terms of, of addressing the need for the customers, but, uh, you know, an expansion strategy that is, you know, replicable um, and, and financially uh, viable, right? Mm -hmm. So... Latin America is a portion of the market, but at this stage, we felt it as an instrumental, um, you know, uh, factor for us to be able to 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 validate the model at scale. Very good. I understand. You know, I feel like <clears throat> one of the things I noticed, you know, we've been familiar with one another for a long time. When I was first introduced to your company, it was called Quetzal, a coy play on the word Quetzal, which is a famous uh, bird and sort of the the image representing Guatemala in many ways, um, and I feel like a lot of Latin American companies I I see it in Mexico a fair amount now end up changing their name after a few years. It tends to be uh, hitching around some form of investment, and, and so let's I'd like to touch on you guys scale model, uh, how you see the capital markets. I'm really curious. It was the Kingo name change. 
uh, sort of part and parcel to that, taking on investment, trying to become more international, or was it simply outgrowing uh, Quetzal and needing to be bigger than, than Guatemala? It was a combination of, of, of different things, uh, which you know, most of them you mentioned. Um, initially, um, you know, Quetzal, um, which was a, a very well-received name that resonated with the, with the Guatemalan population, you know, uh, was, um, let's say, used through another business model. It was a, the same mission, you know, trying to bring power to, to African communities, but it was through a different business model. It was a direct sales model. You know, we worked with microfinance institutions or, or, or banks to provide access to, to the financing that customers require to obtain a solar system, right? Um, practically, that business model did not scale as we expected, and that's when we shifted, you know, and, and took an 180 degree uh, turn towards a, a service model, a prepaid model that we've been pushing as Kingo. So when we decide to, let's say, leave behind the old business model, we also decide to leave the old brand, and in that, um, you know, process, we take advantage of, you know, having the ability to to rebrand. Uh, under a much more universal uh, and uh, let's say universal scope in terms of having a word that can be pronounced in any language, uh, also right. a word that's much more playful and easy to remember, um, yeah. and that has a much uh, much more massive uh, appeal uh, to customers. Right? Uh, yeah. We see ourselves definitely as a as a mass consumer company that effectively we're selling energy, but. You know, it's like the approach that the telcos have taken in um, in emerging markets. Yeah, how how much of that was de was derived from your experience at Procter and Gamble? Like, how much experimentation did you do trying to find the right word that, as you mentioned, can be pronounced in any language? Yeah. Or, uh, I mean, how, how, explain a little bit about the reband process to me. I don't I'm, I don't want to dwell on it long, but <laughs> yeah, it was it was a long process. I would say it took at least four months to coin the right name, to coin the right logo. Uh, we had several uh, experts involved. Um, definitely, as uh, as a you know PNG marketing um, you know guy, uh, I have a lot of interest. You know what a brand represents and how uh, how much uh, more efficient and how can it eliminate friction in in the sales process. You know to have a, a, a the correct name and logo, right? So. Yeah, I was completely involved throughout that process, um, and you know, we're pretty happy with the result. Um, and for sure, um, you know, it, it it had a, a lot of intellect behind finding um, yeah. it. My compliments. I love how you've managed to blend the new look with elements of style that I think get pay homage to Quetzal uh, in in the design. So my compliments to you, one marketer to another. <laughs> Thank you, Nico. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, uh, you know, if did you guys. Uh, raise capital during that process? I mean, I'm really interested to know, how do you go from being a, you've never left the country of Guatemala, how do you go yeah. from now never leaving to growing this company and being able to expand to Colombia, South Africa? What's the, what the, what do you, what do capital markets look like for you? What does investment look like for you? How are you thinking about capitalizing the company moving forward? Well, you know, first and foremost, I'd say I'm, you know, pretty, pretty lucky and, um, and not that, common type of, of, uh, of individual, right? Like how many people have in their local country the opportunity to, you know, go to a school where you speak, 
you know, 60% of the time in English, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of what Kingo has uh, become or, or the vision and how far it's reached is because of the opportunities that, that Guatemala and my family provided me. Um, right. So th- that first and foremost. Then, you know, um, I, when we started uh, the first version of the company, uh, early on, uh, you know, we had a, a, a very key uh, investor come in um, who was a serial entrepreneur, uh, a Guatemalan serial entrepreneur, you know, completely not common at all. He li- lived outside of Guatemala a lot of his life and, and became very successful uh, in the, you know, in the Internet era, uh, in the early era. Um, where he exited several companies, you know, so he became a, a key mentor, I guess, throughout my um, career as an entrepreneur and understanding how the markets work, understanding how the venture scene and, and the language is spoken, you know, uh, and, and, you know, give that uh, give that focus to how we were going to expand the business. Right. So early right. on, since our our first you know, iterations of a company, we had clarity that we wanted to grow um, with some sort of venture strategy, right? So that mentor was was key. Um, and, you know, to be uh, completely transparent, you know, initially, uh, we started raising capital primarily with local partners. But as we started uh, generating traction, um, we started being able to attract uh, international capital. Uh, and because we were very focused on, uh, you know, a, a sector that generated uh, both social and, and environmental impact, uh, we were able to get on board um, very strategic um, DFIs uh, uh, or development yeah. banks, right, which mm-hmm. are very stringent, very, um, you know, very objective um, and Juan, what does that look like? Is that is that I appreciate that color. I was going to ask you about the nature of your of your fundraising. If it was focused on social impact investors, if there were any DFI investors uh, interested, uh, or if you just went straight venture capital route. It's, I would say it'd be maybe half and half between uh, DFIs and and venture capitalists. Um, we've raised up to date um, around, you know, like. 22 uh, million bucks in different rounds uh, of uh, US dollars. Yes, US dollars uh, between different, you know, equity rounds, um, convertible notes that eventually converted into equity, um, and uh, also debt. Uh, most recently, because of the performance of the company, we've been able to attract debt. But uh, it, in any case, it initially, once we were validating the model, I think it was a, a very important learning to see that. You know, medium-sized family offices that you know in Guatemala are starting to get attracted to the venture scene. You know, not having any other opportunities to actually invest in venture. You know, Kingo comes along as you know, helping them um, you know interact with this new way of investing, right? So, so Kingo has taken a lead role in bringing you know mid-tier family offices to you know start investing in venture right and, and you know we have been kind of like the poster boys of of how mm-hmm. uh, it's done uh, of course we're not experts but at least here you know we're one of the few that that have done it right so it's been great to see the ecosystem in general of venture funding uh grow throughout the last you know six seven years in guatemala uh you know being a part of that you know uh, 
learning uh, how to actually create an ecosystem is, is very important for the country itself, you know, not only for us. So half of that uh, of our financing has come from, you know, local mid-tier family offices that are looking to invest in venture. And the other half have come from, you know, uh, bigger uh, financial institution, institutions. We've had, um, you know, the likes of FMO, which is the Dutch Development Bank, come in as equity investors. Uh, also Proparco, which is the Dutch Development Bank. Uh -huh. uh, and most recently, we've also had huge utilities uh, invest in Kingo. You know, um, one of them is wow. NG, which is, you know, fr uh, France's biggest utility uh, they have 150,000 employees and they invested in go and then we right. have EPM which is the Colombian utility company also invested yeah. right so so again bigger institutions um, that are there are either DFIs or big utilities are starting to get involved in this sector uh, also getting involved in venture uh, types of investments um, and of course you know with with what we've been able to accomplish at Kingo. That's why, you know, we've been able to also create these first interactions of these institutions with uh, this sector. I'm floored that you've raised 22 million. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've, I can, I can think of some very well run, uh, you know, grid tied companies with similar connections to yours who haven't raised anything near that. And they're struggling uh, with with raising capital. So first off, I mean, hat tip. That is unbelievable. That's amazing. Congratulations. Uh, and thanks for sharing the detail. You know, it's always a chicken egg yeah. question, and I'll and I'll pose it back to you: whether you have to get your equity uh, uh, from the family offices first, and then the DFIs follow, or how did, how did that work for you guys? Was it you kind of lined up? Proparco and FMO, or and and these guys first, and then the family offices followed, or was was one lead in the in the latest capital round? Like yeah, it was, you know, um, the other way around, pretty much uh, the early stages or the early uh, rounds uh, in terms of, of seed. We did a series double A, then we did a series A. Uh, all of those were primarily uh, taken up by these mid-tier family offices and i think maybe i don't know how relevant this is for 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 our listeners for us, but for us it was a, like a, a very important learning throughout those initial fundraising rounds and it's that we started trying to target you know the top-notch family offices the ones that had the most money that had the biggest mm -hmm. market cap the most prestigious Etc. Right, and we kind of like hit a wall, and we kept hitting that wall for two years, um, and it was really hard to, to grasp grasp the notion that these investors were not interested. You know, they're they're bigger institutions that um, you know like having control. They have they like you know um, you know starting things from from zero. They like doing more traditional things, right? So we changed our strategy, let's say, after two years of knocking on those doors and started focusing on more like mid-tier family offices that had grown, that had generated uh, wealth in their families um, and that wanted to multiply their, their value, right, much faster than just under traditional um, mechanisms. So, you know, that was a tremendous learning and we started, you know, really generating a, a good fit for this for this sector of, of, of or this type of investor, you know, and 
And we right. raised those first rounds with those types of investors. And with those three rounds, you know, we, we definitely generated good traction, good financials that we started, um, you know, having enough, um, enough of a story to knock on, you know, these big DF DFIs and these, you know, bigger uh, utilities, right. right? So then we yeah. raised, after the Series AA, we raised, sorry, after the Series A, we raised a big convertible note and then our Series B. So those have been, you know, uh, the, 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 primarily, uh, the primary equity uh, rounds that we've done over the last, you know, four or five years. So you're seeing a lot of interest in, call them mid-tier family offices in Latin America, or are you also seeing uh, international family offices that are putting money, in the, money to work in Latin America? Well, in terms of family offices that are starting to do venture, we've only, you know, co-invested or, or, or received uh, investments from, um, you know, Latin American family offices. Uh, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, we still have a, a pretty local approach to our investments. We want to be hands-on. We want to be in touch. Um, so I think it's still a cultural right. aspect of why we've been able to create that appeal for local uh, or, or, or regional family offices. Um, then I guess it's a matter of time before more uh, success stories come out of Guatemala or Latin America for other, you know, more international uh, family offices or in general venture funds to start uh, getting involved in, in the region, right? Um, you know, I've, I've been in contact with with dozens of you know venture firms in the valley or in Miami or in New York, you know I spent you know sometimes months in, New in in the states you know trying to raise money and we've definitely always also hit a, a wall there that uh, traditional venture firms in the states are not as open uh, to investing in you know emerging markets. Uh, that, they don't have the they don't have the understanding or the appetite. Yeah, for exactly. They're they're pretty well focused on what they feel comfortable uh, investing in. Yeah. And you know, not only is it emerging markets, but it's like this market that has never been tapped, right? So there's like no data. Right. Double. Yeah. Yeah. Double blind. Well, I'm fascinated with the tech side. I want to get uh, get into kind of your your business model now. Tell me a little bit about. What does Kingo bring to the off-grid solar market that's unique and perhaps even that's scalable? Well, you know, bringing value to our customers is, is a challenge and bringing more value than our competitors is also a challenge, right? Uh, although most of us that are competing in, in, in these markets are really not fully competing in you know, specific regions, like everyone has taken their own approach or own, you know, sector or, or region throughout the, the world to try and um, and validate their model. Um, we're still talking about utilizing mainly, you know, commodities to to try and uh, deliver value to our customer, right? To to bring enough value so that the customer, um, you know, comes back or or continues paying for either the product or the service. So. How do we, you know, become leaders in the sector? Um, and again, I say that a very important approach of why our model is working versus other you know, competitors is that uh, the service approach um, allows us to constantly bring more value to the customer, much more. What does that mean? The well, approach? you know, a lot of our competitors. Um, offer a, a lease to own or just a traditional retail model, right? So, so people buy 
technology that um, you know soon will be uh, obsolete, or that more importantly, through a traditional retail model, uh, the margins required um, with that strategy um, do not give the best value to the end customer. So let me just bring it down a bit uh, to make it clearer. Um, by us providing a prepaid service rather than a lease to own or a you know, retail traditional product, by providing a service, what we're able to do is um, reach much higher penetration, okay? So uh, under higher penetration, um, we are able to, um, let's say, dilute our maintenance costs, uh, our installation costs, uh, and therefore also uh, our desire to have uh, tremendous margins. Because we have more volume, we're able to have uh, you know, lower margins, but it really what it translates into is that our customer gets more for less, okay? So uh, we're, we effectively can go into you know, one of our competitors' markets, and if we decided tomorrow, let's say, to go to Kenya, where several of our competitors are, are acting, you know, we think that with the service model, we're able to deliver more value for uh, the same amount of dollars, therefore uh, you know, winning that, um, you know, that, uh, that decision uh, of, of the customer, right? Um, so technologically mm -hmm. speaking, again, we're bringing more value for less. Um, but trying to yeah. get more techy about it rather than only talking about, you know, how we perceive the price points and what people get through those price points, it's, um, you know, I'll mention several features that, that are important in terms of our, our, our tech. Uh, first of all, um, you know, 50% of communities without power don't have good cell phone coverage globally, right? So most of our competitors' technology depends on cell phone coverage to operate. Our technology initially can circumvent that, uh, and we can compete, you know, anywhere in the world. What we've created is, on top of the hardware, you know, additional software tools that allow us to always be in control of the data and the health of our customer portfolio, right? So that, you know, feature is very important. Um, another importance of, of our technology is that it's, um, it's unhackable, uh, pretty much. You know, uh, many of our competitors uh, or many other businesses that have, you know, tried and compete in these uh, markets, you know, are often uh, hit with uh, fraudulent uh, activities, um, with people, you know, overriding systems or stealing the systems and using them without actually respecting uh, the rules of, of the service, right? So our technology, you know, is, is tamper-proof uh, at all levels, um, which is, you know, instrumental for, for allowing the business to scale healthy and to actually generate traction. And, and you're... And you're referring specifically yeah. to energy theft, not like exactly. somebody hacking into your Exactly, energy theft and, or, or trying to use components, you know, and sell them in the market, right? To our technology, if you, if you separate yeah. each component by themselves and try to sell them in the market, they have no value because all of them are interconnected, right? Mm. Uh, so. Got it. And, and you referred to uh, there being no cell service. Yeah, as you mentioned, most of, you know, Africa and other, other regions focus on mobile money yeah. they're kind of built on mobile money which really doesn't exist in latin america by and large 
Well, that's that was another, you know, very conscious decision that we made. Um, you know, by depending on mobile money 100%, you're, you know, pretty much leaving your cash collection um, channel uh, dependent on somebody else's technology or somebody else's power, right? So telcos right. can often be very aggressive uh, and take advantage of these types of relationships. So, you know, maybe it was also a case of luck, but initially we decided to generate also our own revenue uh, or our own cash collection, um, you know, uh, channel, right? So uh, through the different software platforms, we're able to, you know, have our own network of cash collection uh, in order to always have a direct revenue stream to our bank, right? So uh, it was in part due to the fact that uh, the, the penetration of mobile money here, as you say, was not there, right? So we needed to, to create a solution for that. So, you know, it, it, in any case, if you sum up all the things that I've mentioned or that we've talked about, we're talking about, you know, cell phone coverage. We're talking about um, hacking. We're talking about um, financing. Um, we're talking about untapped markets that have no data, right? So anybody that tries to compete in this sector has tremendously high um, you know, competitive barriers. Practically getting into this sector is super, mm -hmm. super expensive and intense, right? And, and it has a lot of friction, right? So yeah. it's, it's not always only about the tech, right? Uh, our IP, I would say, why we've been able to scale so fast and why we've been able to raise cash, of course, is dependent on the tech, but the tech is a consequence of the commercial IP that we've generated, right? You know, getting the correct people involved, investing in those people, investing in creating distribution capabilities has really been, you know, our, our key competitive advantage. Mm. Well, talk to me about that. Talk to me about your business model in terms of distribution. I know at Quetzal, you guys did the, you know, send an army of people out and try to sell to the folks in the field. And now I understand that you have a different model where you set up stores. Um, help me understand your distribution methodology and, and why that gives you a... An, a okay. So pretty advantage. much what we, what we came up with pretty early is that... Um, that you can't piggyback on, you know, uh, traditional distribution models or, or channels that already exist. Um, you can't, uh, you know, find products off the shelf that work at that scale that provide you the level of detail in terms of data that is required to measure the health of the of the uh, of the business. So, you know, we started developing these capacities, um, you know, early on. Um, uh, within uh, the company, right? So let's say that different technological yeah. tools are really just uh, consequences of us learning throughout the process what uh, we need to change and fine tune, right? So um, from the start, you know, we've been able to identify what are the, the key unit economics that really drive the business, right? Um, and for us to be able to fine tune those unit economics, we've also had to take control of them, right? Um, and that's why I mentioned, you know, we practically do our distribution. We practically have developed our tech, right, because of that same reason. Um, so, uh, you know, trying to define the, the distribution model in different phases, um, you know, the first phase is the validation of the market, you know, making sure that there's uh, a, a, a market opportunity that's relevant 
uh, a market opportunity that's addressable and that's um, real, right? A lot of the times in emerging markets, you know, the data that you get from government is very, um, it, it's, you know, most of the times incorrect, right? So you also have to, you know, like consolidate data or generate it yourself, right? So first validating the market is, is critical. We first do, you know, a digital validation that then we transfer into a physical validation of sending our market, market validators to the different communities to understand whether there's a market and what size it has, right? So that's the first process. That, you know, we develop different software tools that, that allow us to obtain that data uh, in a very efficient manner that then we can link to the second stage of the sales process, which is um, the, the promotion and installation of uh, the, the, the Kingos themselves, right? Um, in this process, you know, after we've already validated the, the, the community, we've also created a relationship with the community leaders uh, where we, you know, coordinate mass presentations where our sales teams actually get there, present the benefits in Kingo, you know, present that's because it's a service model, you know, the, the, the access barriers are, you know, practically, uh, you know, vanished because, you know, we charge no installation fees, we give people free trial periods, so they're, they're able to test the technology and see that it works and they're, that they're able to save money, right? So with those types of strategies, our penetration velocity is really, really fast. So we practically don't have the physical ability right now to, you know, attend the demand out there because, you know, we've we've eliminated the, the trial and, and purchase barriers for our customers, right? So, um, you know, our sales teams are super efficient and, and install, you know, right now we're installing around uh, 5,000 homes each month. Um, by the end of these, this year, we're gonna be installing like almost 10,000 homes a month. Um, so while right. we, you know, install uh, the Kingos in each customer's homes, we use other technological tools that allow us to gather a lot of information from the communities, from the customers, um, and from, you know, where the systems are physically installed, right? Um, parallel to installing the systems, we start installing our, our shopkeeper network that uh, are really the ones that make it um, viable in terms of maintaining, let's say, uptime of the systems. Uh, it's pretty much what the telcos did, you know, having very local um, shops that uh, people can attend to, you know, on a daily basis, uh, because that's what they require, you know, for it to be local, um, yeah. so that it's accessible. Now, are these, is this a key, is this a Kingo uh, oh, branded store, store, or is it a, no, it's a, it's a franchise? It's, let's it? say it's replicated from the telco. You know, this store sells airtime, it sells chips, it sells, uh, you know, sodas, and what we provide to this shopkeeper is uh, an app with which he can mm. sell or she can sell. Uh, prepaid credits, right? These stores don't actually get the customers or install the units, right? They only sell the prepaid credits. A, so it pretty much substitutes. Right. It's a kid yeah. selling scratch so off we, cards for. Yeah, exactly. For but we sell it time. digitally. You know, we sell a, a prepaid code that people insert in their systems. They get it at the shop. Sure. So uh, we have a network of shopkeepers that, you know, make a, a very good margin out of every transaction. Actually, they make more money selling Kingo. Uh, credit than any other product in their stores, right? So they're very well incentivized in selling Kingo and getting more customers within their communities. So, you know, there we've covered three steps of the process, the validation, 
the installation of the customer and the installation of the shopkeeper. Um, then, you know, uh, the, the final process uh, is the post-sale service. Uh, because we provide a prepaid service, it's in our interest that um, our service is, you know, at par with our customers' expectations, right? So we provide our customers a perpetual warranty on the service. We have a 24-7 call center where, you know, people uh, can speak, you know, four different languages because in Guatemala, you know, there's like 20 different uh, you know, different indigenous right. languages. So our, our call center is toll free for them and they, they get, you know, answered in their language, right? We have uh, around a 72 hour um, turnaround time to resolve, um, you know, technical issues in, in the field because we also, in our post sales service process, have, you know, people hired directly from the communities that actually take care uh, of a specific portfolio of customers. Um, they, you know, they're, they're, they're people uh, that you know, traditionally could be earning, you know, 100 to $150 a month. Now working for Kingo, they're making, you know, $400, $500 a month, still living within their communities uh, and bringing uh, power, right? So we communicate with our, you know, post-sales agents who also other technological tools that we develop. So, you know, our software allows us to be interconnected with, uh, the whole distribution model with all of our customers in some way uh, and allows us to make, you know, constantly very uh, good decisions in terms of improving the health of a portfolio. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing such depth of uh, insight into how you've set the business up. That's very, uh, that's very kind of you, and and it's insightful for me to see kind of how you've thought through this. Um, I I would love to know. You know, you mentioned a lot of the reason that you aren't well, using hundred percent. You know, and, and energy other, as uh, technology as, uh, impediments as it applies also for the interconnected population. You know, providing a, uh, a segue power to develop first time. You might and, be a uh, other through types of other types of, of service um, the of tools and, and consumption. Right? Long -term business so uh, effectively, what we're generating is a, a bridge with, you know tens of thousands and soon hundreds of thousands and eventually millions of users for which we'll have a you know, direct link to you know, bring additional, um, additional services or tools that can actually improve their lives, right? So we take that very seriously. Uh, it's you know, a, a, hu a huge responsibility in terms of, of what you can actually bring and how you're bringing it, right? So of course, we always pay attention to our customers um, in terms of what is important to them, um, in terms of, of what our innovation pipeline uh, entails. But uh, for sure, you know, we have already uh, a couple of, of uh, B2B relationships with telcos and with, um, with uh, consumer companies um, so that, you know, we can uh, improve uh, income also within homes, right? Um, either, you know, let's say, for example, creating a, a new uh, type of store with, where people can actually, um, you know, refrigerate specific products that can't be sold there because there's no refrigeration, right? Or we can actually have that store have a TV with a satellite dish so it generates more traffic to their store. Or other customers that may need, you know, uh, 
pumping water or irrigating fields uh, or bringing, uh, you know, access to motors so they can actually mill uh, certain crops or, you know, there's a variety of different productivity tools that will actually increase energy consumption, right? So anything that we can bring that uh, improves our customers' lives, improves their income, uh, and improves their perception of Kingo will just inherently increase energy consumption. Uh, yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, you know, we touched a little bit about uh, your expansion plans. I'd like to talk a little about, uh, well, perhaps not a little, let's talk about other markets beyond Guatemala, 35 million uh, off-grid in Latin America, obviously, uh, much, much more than that outside of the uh, Americas, continents, and, and the Caribbean. But let's do it through the lens of a game I call Hot or Not, and... Um, and then we'll drill down from there. So I, I'll name a specific market. We've talked about Guatemala, so I'll skip that one. And you can just give me a 30-second overview on how you feel about that market. We'll look through the lens only of off-grid. And then perhaps we'll uh, drill down from there. So beyond Guatemala, what do you think about Honduras? And I'll couch Honduras as any other Central America market. So let's sort of capture Central America. Okay. Um, so in Central America, you know, there are two other you know, interesting markets uh, that we definitely are paying attention to, which is Honduras and Nicaragua. Honduras has like 300,000 homes, Nicaragua pretty much the same amount of homes without power, uh, you know, similar to Guatemala, which is a bit bigger. Um, so again, it's like our our backyard, right? Uh, culturally, right. Uh, it's practically the same. And most importantly, also the internal capacities that we've already invested in uh, allow us to operate uh, you know, on a regional basis. Um, then you have from a sales from the uh, yeah post sales perspective. Yeah, on a post sales perspective, and also you know, in terms of uh, our investors, right? We have investors that have operations that in in, uh, in all of Central America, right? In that region, right? Yeah, Venezuela, uh, which has around a hundred thousand homes, so it's not huge, but again, if we're going to try and focus our resources, most probably we, we would go to Honduras and Nicaragua. First, um, right. if, uh, you know, if you expand the scope towards more of a Latin American uh, region, you know, definitely Haiti is the biggest market. Uh, it's almost the size of Central America, but, you know, three times as dense. Uh, so it's, it's very interested, interesting. So Haiti, I've heard, is the largest market for off-grid in Latin America. But can you put numbers around that? What does like, that look like? Uh, 1.2 million homes without power. 1.2 million yeah. homes. Yeah, okay. in Haiti alone. Um, of course, uh, the economy in Haiti is is um, is much uh, lower than in Guatemala, for example. So if we were to penetrate, for example, in Haiti, probably uh, we would have a higher penetration of our smaller types of systems that generate, uh, you know, a, a lower average revenue per user. Uh, but but still, if you have that density and that volume, um, you know, it's super uh, profitable if you're able to reach scale, right? Um, after yeah. Haiti, you know, um, you have Peru, Colombia, uh, Ecuador probably are, are uh, you know, countries that make sense uh, in, in the midterm. 
Um, and uh, then, of course, for us, you know, Africa and Asia are definitely uh, in the pipeline. But, uh, you know, to give you just another piece of, of information, we're already actually operating in, in Colombia. We started our first pilot, uh, you know, a couple of months ago. Um, and, and is that in the zona no conectada yeah, or is that a different no area? So, um, you know, officially, uh, there's like 450,000 homes uh, without power, but extra officially, um, you know, from very direct sources, uh, you know, we estimate that there's, uh, you know, almost a million homes without power in Colombia. So there we've, uh, you know, uh, co-invested with a local a local group and, um, and we're going to scale it, uh, you know, pretty fast throughout the next couple of months. Very good. Very good. It's, I'm glad to see that it's uh, it's broadening through through Latin America. Yeah, personally, I've seen obviously a lot of opportunity in in Colombia. Peru famously had a tender for their off grid market um, that that doesn't seem to have really gotten gotten anywhere. Um, what do you think? I mean, what do you think is holding back off grid solar right now as a serious contender, not just for for financial growth, but just for market growth in general? It's mm, a good question. Um, I would say that, you know, it's, of course, uh, the most logical answer is that it's a very nascent market. So, you know, it's still pretty young. It's still, you know, validating itself. Um, and, and again, it's, it's, it's never been tapped before, you know, not only with off-grid, but, with, you know, the same types of businesses trying to, you know, tackle or attend uh, the bottom of the pyramid customers, you know, have not traditionally been able to, to, to right. scale, right? Either because, um, you know, the technology was not there or the interest, right? I guess definitely new generations with new mentalities, um, with a much more inclusive scope are definitely uh, taking uh, attention to, you know, 60, 70% mm -hmm. of the world's market that, Nobody is competing yeah. uh, for, right? So there is yeah. that blue ocean opportunity there for a variety of, 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 of sectors. And that's why, well, even though it hasn't uh, been representative versus, you know, other sectors, I would say that off-grid solar is, is attracting each year much more and more capital, right? There's no doubt uh, about it. Yeah, definitely. No, no doubt about it. I mean, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, uh, the, yeah, five years ago there wasn't a combined total of 22 million invested <laughs> in the off-grid solar venture market. Yeah. So, and, and again, it's yeah. you know, it's 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 a tremendous uh, financial opportunity for investors, you know, and and you know, we're seeing now um, several companies prove that there is a market there that it's very very profitable. Mm -hmm. Uh, probably yeah. the first example of it that happened, you know, between the last 20 years are the telcos. You know, they they right. generated tremendous benchmark IRRs for their investors by coming to compete into emerging markets and having, you know, you know, almost more than 100% penetration in terms of access to a prepaid mm. line. Right? Uh, they've made yeah. you know tons of of, of money in in these. Uh, Know, untapped markets. So are we talking, I mean, in profitability return to investors, are we talking more than 20, more than 30, more than 50% return? Well, you know, for seed investors, I would say well above 50%. Um, 
sure. for, I would say. But you're not selling 50% yeah, when you're out raising um, money. Exactly. Um, but, you know, we've, we've raised our Series B. Um, you know, and again, it's, it, it's a benchmark IRR that we're, of course, offering. We need to validate and, and scale, but we're on a good uh, track. But, you know, I would, sell that, I would say that well above 30% IRRs um, are, are. Yeah, that's consistent with what I'm hearing from Africa. And that's very compelling, right? It's very compelling no matter what sector you're coming from. The, overcoming the challenges of uncertainty about the market and just general uncertainty uh, with payments, you know, credit. Uh, credit worthiness of the market is, I think, a big hurdle. Um, I think we could spend the rest of the podcast talking about how you guys overcome credit. Frank, frankly, I think that's probably something that you'll get hit a bunch on in Miami because mm-hmm. it's a big unknown in uh, in the off-grid market in particular. So we won't leave that. We'll leave that for folks who are going to reach out to you and try to find you at uh, Unlocking Solar Capital. Um, and I could, you know, go on and on with you for a couple of hours. I do have some other things. Kind of the way the way I generally run uh, run the show that dig into a little bit more about about you Juan and how you chose to run the company and how you uh, guide your life. So I'll I'll start to get into that. But man, you really unlocked a wealth of information for me. Uh, learning a lot about how this market works. I'm curious what to know. What are some key lessons and takeaways from these mentors that you mentioned earlier that apply that you've applied directly to your life and career? What are things that you, that you've been taught? that uh, other entrepreneurs should know? Well, um, you know, the, one of the primary learnings um, that, you know, more than a, a mentor in terms of business um, has offered me, but more in terms of, of, a, of, of a personal mentor um, mm-hmm. that has allowed me to, you know, consistently um, bring a lot of passion and value to what I do, you know, it's just giving, giving enough time, uh, for your family, I guess, you know, something that I constantly, you know, do is just try and replicate what, what my parents did, you know, specifically my my father being an entrepreneur, you know, like, um, he busted his butt off working, but, uh, you know, mm. He will. He would not, uh, you know, just. Uh, he, he would never lose time to be with us. You know, he would make the yeah. most out out of, of of his work and his time so that he could spend enough time with us. You know, and that I think that stayed with me, and that's why you know I give so much value to to my work because I know that uh, it's all for, for, for my family. Right. So, so, you know, my father was a tremendous mentor in terms of, of, of giving purpose to, to my work. Right. Um, yeah. so, you know, I would say that's, that's my, my primary takeaway in terms of, uh, what is important and uh, how you can give purpose to work. Um, but the second, you know, uh, aspect that I truly, you know, um, also let's say, replicated that my father did was also also just you know working hard you know like he taught me to start working very early young in my in my life you know during my vacations yeah. or um you know after i started uh, you know in, in high school uh, we started our first company with with my brothers you know so it was very early on that we started working you know so so 
from a key mentor who's my father, you know, love of your family and just mm. starting to work as early as you can gives you a huge yeah. upside in the market. It's like investing. Yeah, yeah man, I, I can't wait. Next time I'm in Guatemala, I want to meet this <laughs> man. <laughs> well, um, what's what's got you most excited right now for Kingo's growth? What's next on the on the on the calendar here? Well, you know, there's there's a, a variety of, of, of challenges. Uh, that we're trying to tackle, um, but you know, in terms of of getting past this initial phase of becoming, you know, operationally profitable and leaving that phase behind, you know, which is what we've done over the last uh, year, um, you know, we've been able to finally take our heads out of the of the forest, you know, and really try and and take a new grasp at the opportunity. Uh, again, that yeah. blue ocean mindset. Uh, that really puts things in perspective, right? Um, so we're, throughout the next year, going to be much more focused on generating breakthroughs in, in our innovation, uh, you know, much more focused on, on, on bringing uh, a variety of new products and services that can increase uh, the scope of our, mm. of our reach, right? Um, you know, we're yeah. completely you know, banking on uh, a distributed, um, you know, grid that uh, generates power and consumes power locally. Uh, you know, we're, we're effectively, you know, competing against, you know, Elon Musk, but we're uh, starting uh, from another yeah, spectrum. Creating a micro yeah, utility. Exactly. We're, we're starting from uh, another extreme of the spectrum where, you know, very ironically, we are able to um, get you know benchmark IRRs where we recover our investment much faster than competing in the grid in the grid uh, because we compete against a substitute that's much more inefficient and expensive, right? So um, you know we think if somebody would invest in solar, they would be much smarter if they invested in off grid because they don't compete against kilowatt hour. You know we compete against candles and diesel, which is exponentially much more ex expensive than kilowatt hour, right? So, you know, having yeah. that uh, focus and, and mindset of, you know, uh, banking on, on solar or distributed uh, generation uh, being the status quo in the future, but having the ability to start where you make that money faster and eventually having the ability to expanding your, your target market, technology is getting cheaper and each time we're going to be much more competitive against uh, the grid, you know, we'll have that know-how, we'll have that expertise to operate, uh, you know, a, distribute, a distributed array of customers, uh, of people, um, and of value, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think we're, we're starting on the correct uh, extreme of the spectrum and, and know that we're going to be a serious, you know, energy competitor in general in the future. I love the vision, Juan, and it's, in, it's inspiring. What, so what's, what sort of people do you need to connect with? When you, uh, we'll, we'll turn it back to the fact that you're going to be in Miami in a couple of weeks, and maybe someone's listening to this that it's a year from now. But what sort of people can we connect you with? Who are you looking to, to, to expand? Well, I would say, you know, um, as we've kind of um, left behind our, our equity rounds, and, and a lot of my focus had been directly at, at, at raising capital. Of course, I'm fully involved in the operations uh, but but again, I would like to be much more involved 
in generating more value for for the company and for our customers. So I, this year and, and next year, I'm going to be primarily focused in, in two different uh, areas, and it'd be great to get to, to meet people within you know this uh, area of, of uh, influence. But um, first uh, and foremost, you know um, we're going to invest much more in our R&D. Um, so we're looking again to to create breakthrough products and services mm-hmm. that bring again much more value to our customers and allow us to gain a much deeper competitive advantage, right? Um, so R&D yeah. is going to be huge. We're trying to again be as disruptive as possible as we've been in the past. You know, tackling you know you know unthinkable markets with um, you know not proven technologies, but we've been able to do it, right? So we like to expand that that vision and give it more fuel by providing more resources to it. Um, so that makes, that makes um, or that takes into account, you know, battery uh, battery management systems or battery technologies themselves uh, or uh, mm-hmm. solar panels. Um, but we're also talking about, you know, internet, about uh, cooking, about, yeah. um, you know, software, data. Software. Uh, so <laughs> there's, there's a variety yeah. of, of, of different you know, opportunities in our in our tech pipeline that we are prioritizing in terms of what our roadmap looks for uh, from here to 2020. So we're finalizing, you know, our, our our tech roadmap, which pretty much is hand in hand with our commercial roadmap uh, for the next couple of years, right? So that's the first um, yeah. you know priority for me, uh, and the second priority is uh, access to debt financing. Uh, we've already been able to, in the past, mm-hmm. already, as I mentioned, gotten FMO and Proparco in the mix, which are, by definition, you know, debt investors. Debt is going to be a huge component yeah. for our expansion, considering that is that our business model is super intense in terms of, of capex. So, you know, we can't scale without debt, right? So we're actually going out to the market in 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 June uh, with our new uh, senior debt uh, round, which hopefully it's going to be a vehicle that can cover for our debt needs for the next you know three to four years. That's amazing. It's clear that you've thought very thoroughly through the business model. Juan, you also seem like a person who is very introspective, and thoughtful. I, I perceive that you're probably uh, a reader. You're obviously well educated. What's the book that you've given away the most and why? Well, um, you know, again, a, a lot of my my career uh, as a, as an entrepreneur has, you know, been been I don't I don't know driven by experience, right? Uh, I guess you know uh, uh-huh. a saying that I like to repeat a lot. It's not mine, but uh, it resonates with me a lot. Is that um, Practically, knowledge that is worth learning can't be taught. You know, um, it's it's like counterintuitive um, because um, you're asking me about books, right? It's like with books, you're able to somehow extract knowledge and, and use it in your in your own benefit. So rather than reading a lot mm-hmm. about business, which you know I do, I like to read a lot about um, you know the inner being, you know, in in psychology and, you know, Mm -hmm. spirituality and how I can actually, you know, create a link between my, my daily activities, um, with, with my, myself. Right. So, you know, a book that 
generated right. tremendous impact um, in my life, both at a professional and, and personal level. And, and why I, I repeated why, you know, uh, work was important for me is because through work, I learned a lot about myself. So this book specifically is about learning about yourself um, and your role and, and your ego. Um, and I've read it, you know, maybe three times. Uh, and it's the book of the man. That's what it's called. Uh, yeah. Uh, the book of the man. It was, it was actually not written. It's mm. just extracts from a variety of different lectures from Osho. Uh, I don't know if you've heard from Osho, but, you know, he's, uh, he's you know, a guru, an Indian uh, a guru. He's, you know, classified as one of the, you know, top five most influential, you know, Indians in history, you know, next to Gandhi and others. Um, and, you know, he's he's agnostic in terms of religion or spirituality, but is very objective in terms of how, um, you know, you have power over everything that surrounds you, right? And that actually, in many occasions, you are uh, you are the barrier or you are the problem, right? And that you know, having that introspection allows you to unlock all this um, all this collective potential, right? So, um, so that book, you know, I've recommended it several times. Um, How do you spell the author? O S H O. Okay, well, sure. Uh, yeah, I can't find it on Amazon, but I'm definitely going to find it and link to it. I always link to the books well, that are recommended. I read it in Spanish, and it's called yeah. Libro del Hombre, so I just translated ah, okay. it uh, you know, literally. Okay. I can, yeah, yeah, can yeah. look for the name uh, in English, and I'll share it with you. But, you know, this, this guy has, I don't know, hundreds of books written about his lectures. Uh, and, you know, there's the book of the man, there's the book of the woman, there's the book of the child. I've read, uh, you know, several of them. Um, but, but again, very, very profound and, and uh, I guess, uh, at the same time, very objective and something that you can work uh, practically in your day to day. Yeah, I got it now. Osho, El Libro del Hombre. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, any other, any other books that have made massive change or positive change in your life that you'd like to recommend? Well, our um, community of readers here at Suncast. <laughs> I've always liked uh, Herman Hesse. Uh, because of, you know, uh, of how he's also been able to incorporate, you know, Eastern knowledge into Western type stories. Um, I always, yeah. you know, very appealed by, by uh, you know, this type of, of wisdom and, uh, you know, way of life. You know, of course, I'm not a, um, a monk, you know, but again, I think a, a mix between, um, you know, ideas that have sustained for thousands of years uh, into how we mm. see, uh, you know, technology interconnecting us into one whole being, you know, is, is very logical, right? Um, so I see a lot of relations between those. Do, do you have a favorite between the obvious big ones, uh, Siddhartha and Steppenwolf? Well, Demian, I like Demian, uh, Demian. a lot. Um, I actually haven't read Steppenwolf. Uh, no, uh, but I, I should. But Demian is 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 a great one for sure that I would recommend. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of, of, of tech, you know, of course I I I also try to m maintain myself, um, you know, involved in terms of, of what is going on. Uh, many of, of of concepts of the concepts that are 
um, you know, revolutionizing technology are actually technologies that we use, you know, at Kingo, you know, how the cloud has completely changed how companies operate and the, the, the depth and breadth of, of how technology allows us to access data and analyze it and use it to just become better, right? So, um, you know, a book that I just recently um, ended up uh, or finished reading is uh, The Inevitable uh, by Kevin Kelly. Uh -huh. um, so good. Yeah, you've read it too. Um, so, you know, it, it gives you just a, a, a pretty futuristic outlook uh, at 12 different technologies that will, you know, mm -hmm. overtake our day-to-day our -day lives and how they will impact society, um, businesses, and of course, uh, individuals, right? So it's, you know, amazing to see how, you know, just uh, our traditional way of life is going to dramatically change over the next 30 years. And, and Kingo, if, if our vision is, is manifested, for sure will incorporate a lot of these technologies into its, its, um, its strategy. Yeah, and Kevin Kelly has a history of, of predicting yeah. <laughs> what's going to happen with technology. Uh, just an amazing author. I it was recommended on one of the po many podcasts I listened to, so I immediately added it to my listening repertoire. And uh, yeah, I agree. The Inevitable is a, a great book. Um, well, listen, I know that you've got a limited time, and uh, we're gonna have to wrap it up here. But one question that I always ask, and I think it's pertinent here: What one thing do you consistently do that yields the greatest impact or results in your personal life, or perhaps your professional? Maybe they're together. Hmm. I really like the sense of collectivism um, and having, you know, um, a pretty level playing field field for making decisions. Um, you know, and that applies both at a personal or, or, or professional uh, standpoint. You know, through conversation and through perceiving. You know, value in others people's perspectives or opinions. I think lie, lays, uh, you know, the, the whole truth, right? Um, hmm. So, you know, we, we we practice. I think a lot of that in Kingo, and of course, I try to take that home or vice versa, pretty much, um, because you know, a sense of collectivism provides empowerment, which ends up in much better results, right? Um, and also in a much more sustainable um, uh, culture or conversation, you know. So, you know, even though I have the title of, of CEO, um, I would say I never make uh, any decisions. You know, I, 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 I try to share, you know, my knowledge, my opinions, and to, of course, always bring value to the conversation. But, uh, you know, uh, here we make decisions on a collective basis uh, and we you know, perceive that we all have a level of value. Um, and I think that's also something that we, that we live with, with my wife and my, my baby at home, you know, mm. and that in the end, I think that's a great road to, to happiness, you know, just trying to, to connect. Yeah. Before I let you go, where can people find you? How can they learn more about you or connect with you? Um, don't search on Google because you'll find a lot of bad things. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, you know, LinkedIn, um, for sure. My name mm -hmm. in LinkedIn is Juan Fermin Rodriguez. You know, traditionally in Latin American countries, we have 
uh, you know, two names at the least. So my two names are Juan Fermin. My last name is, is Rodriguez. Uh, my second last name is Gonzalez. But on, on LinkedIn, I'm Juan Fermin Rodriguez. Um, you know, same on Facebook. Um, I actually yeah. don't don't play a lot with with Twitter, so don't look for me there. Um, you know, definitely on Facebook, uh, mm -hmm. you can search for for Kingo primarily. Uh, we appear as Kingo Energy, um, and our website is uh, www.kingoenergy.com. Wonderful. And uh, I always ask as a parting question, what one thing? do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? Juan, what's in your crystal ball? Should I tell you? <laughs> um, well, again, I, you know, we've received, um, you know, pushback in terms of um, tackling, um, you know, this, this issue of lack of access to power through a service model. You know, um, people often argue that, you know, uh, customers prefer you know, ownership uh, over over a service, uh, and that's what's gonna solve this issue. I actually don't see, you know, ownership um, solving this issue or even getting close to solving it. You know, it's uh, it's more like a band-aid. Um, mm -hmm. Service models have uh, far and wide proven that um, uh, it's a dem democratizing process in which access is actually generated. Um, to reach, you know, close to 100% penetration levels, right? Uh, either, you know, typical uh, old-fashioned utilities, but you know, most, you know, we see it um, with, uh, with telcos, or even, you know, uh, more recently with, you know, um, sharing services rather than owning services, right? Uh, or owning uh, actual IP. You know, we've seen it in the music industry. We're seeing it. Um, in crowdfunding, you know, we're seeing it in how content gets generated in 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 the web. So, so in general terms, you know, I think uh, a service model um, allows us to actually solve a, a problem uh, in a sustainable manner. Um, to put it more bluntly, for example, if I provide a service to my customer who I wish to service for a long time. I'm always going to be incentivized to first bringing him um, more value um, that, than what he thinks he's paying for. That way, you know, he's always going to maintain loyalty to, to the service, uh, first and foremost. But second, very important aspect is that by me providing a service, I want to use the best technology available. You know, I don't want to make a quick buck. And that's why I bring the best components, uh, the, the, the most breakthrough technologies, so that my service is always up, you know? Um, and that aligns perspectives um, between customer and company, right? And gives it, gives, it, mm -hmm. uh, gives that relationship um, uh, the ability to sustain over time, you know? So again, our service uh, is, I think, something different that many of the companies are not uh, undertaking uh, as we are, or some that have done it but not successfully. Um, I think because we've we've stayed true to scaling um, in a manner that's healthy, you know, and not just growing because we can get customers, you know, but but growing because we have data and using that data um, to 
to promote a, a sustainable service, right? So I think that's what's in my crystal ball. And that's, I think, why we will be a serious energy competitor at a global level, uh, you know, not only for off-grid sectors. Got it. Microgrids are going to arise and energy as a service is a model that's here to stay. Well, when and uh, as that becomes reality, we will be, as always, covering it here on Suncast. Don't forget, you can catch both Juan and I in the upcoming Unlocking Solar Capital event hosted by Solar Plaza in Miami the 15th and 16th of June uh, this 2017. If you're hearing us sometime after that, thank you for your time and attention. I hope that you got as much out of this as I did today. I can't tell you how much more affinity I have for not just Kingo, but for Juan Fermin Rodriguez after this conversation. Juan, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Nico. Big hug to everybody that's listening. Thank you. Wow, look at that. We're already done with another episode. Hey, I mentioned before this episode's brought to you in collaboration with Solar Plaza. Get over to www.mysuncast.com forward slash plaza for details on the Unlocking Solar Capital LATAM event in Miami coming up June 15th and 16th. Don't forget the 10% discount code. 10%! I mean, that's a meal in Miami, or at least an appetizer. So go use Suncast at checkout. Grab your 10%. I'll see you in Miami. That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, and you're now well-armed for battle. Hopefully, you'll take away some great tools for your own success. I'd love it if you'd share what you learned or share the episode over on LinkedIn. Let me know what other tools you need. If you want to sharpen the axe a little bit more, I've shared some of the resources we discussed in today's conversation over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the latest episode link in the title bar. Perhaps the best tool in your arsenal might be subscribing to the mailing list while you're there so that you'll get an email from yours truly when new content is available. Have a suggestion for someone you think should join the conversation? Email me, nico at mysuncast.com or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Hey, that's it. Thanks for being here. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.